0: Hello. Saying goodbye and parting from loved ones is never easy. This is Search for Truth with me, John, and your Bible teacher, Brian Johnston. We're in the upper room with the Lord and his disciples once again. And this time Jesus is going to tell his beloved disciples that he's going to leave them. But it's not just the fact he's leaving that's distressing. It's how he will leave them that's truly devastating. Brian's called the Upper Room the Function Room this time. So let's join Brian as he takes up the Bible account in greater detail. Thanks, John. Have you ever found yourself thinking about the impact on yourself when someone else is
1: sharing with you some devastating news about himself or herself? That seems to be what the disciples are doing in the Upper Room when Jesus announces to them that the time for his death and his returning to his Father has come. He says... Now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, grief has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I am leaving. For if I do not leave, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. John 16 verses 5 to 7. Jesus, with perfect discernment, knew what was going through their minds. They'd been caught thinking more of the impact of impending events on themselves, and not on him. They were feeling sorry for themselves, but had no thought, it seemed, for the deep sorrow the Saviour himself was about to pass through. But his thoughts, even in that dark hour of his betrayal, were on them, not himself. He goes on to explain some more aspects of the advantage for them that his departure would bring. He's already told them he's going to prepare a place for them, and that he won't return, and take them to that place. He's also spoken of the coming of another helper. And now at this point, he returns to that topic with more immediate benefit as he speaks of the Spirit's coming. And he, when he comes, will convict the world regarding sin and righteousness and judgment. Regarding sin, because they do not believe in me. And regarding righteousness, because I'm going to the Father and you no longer are going to see me. And regarding judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Those are verses 8 through 11 of chapter 16. It's only right and proper that we study the text for clues as to when our Lord's statements apply. He's been telling them, I am going to him who sent me. And then he says, I will send the helper to you. And then again, when he comes, speaking of the Spirit. These were all imminent events shortly to take place, beginning within hours of when Christ was addressing these men. When did the Spirit come? Jesus was going out of that room to die, and 50 days after his resurrection, he was going to send the Holy Spirit. He would come at Pentecost, and on that very same day, Peter preached to the gathered crowd, as described in Acts chapter 2, and he said this, Men of Israel, listen to these words, Jesus the Nazarene, A man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him from the dead, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Verses 22 to 24 of Acts 2. It happened just as Jesus said it would. Peter preached about how God had made it so obvious that Jesus of Nazareth was their long-awaited Messiah. But they had stubbornly refused to believe. They'd been in denial over the evidence. God had performed miracles and wonders and signs through Jesus before their eyes. In this way, God had attested to the true identity of Jesus. In retrospect, for many in the audience that day, it had been unmissable and yet they'd missed it because they'd allowed themselves to be influenced by their religious leaders who were jealous of the popularity of Jesus with the crowds. With the coming of the Spirit of God on that historic Pentecost, they were now deeply convicted of their unbelief in having nailed him to the cross. Despite the miracles God had performed through Jesus, they'd not believed on him. They now saw their behaviour as being inexcusable They'd nailed to the cross this miracle worker, the man whom God had approved. They'd nailed him to the cross. They were convicted on the spot, but there was more to it. Not only were they convicted of sin because they hadn't believed on Jesus, Peter spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. It is this Jesus whom God raised up, a fact to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, since he has been exalted at the right hand of God and has received the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father, he has poured out this which you both see and hear. Verses 31 to 33 of Acts chapter 2. You know, we tend to think of Pentecost as being all about the Spirit. After all, that was a historic day that the Spirit came. But from Peter's words that we've just read, isn't it true to say that Pentecost was just as much, if not more, about Jesus? How is that, you ask? Because the coming of the Spirit was God-given evidence that pointed to the exaltation of Jesus to God's own right hand. That very day, there was remarkable, visible and audible witness on earth of an event that had taken place in heaven. Jesus, God's Son, had gone to the Father. And if he had gone to the Father, then he was clearly righteous. But they'd considered him anything but righteous. They'd put him to death for blasphemy. Now they were convicted by the Spirit of Jesus' true righteousness, as proved by his now being with the Father. But still this more, for the story of Pentecost continues as Peter concludes his preaching. Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what are we to do? Those are verses 36 and 37 of Acts chapter 2. The convicting work of the Spirit in those lives was now complete. they had followed the great deception of the devil, who's known as the ruler of this world. On so-called Good Friday, it had seemed as if the devil had won. The life of the Messiah had been terminated. But then had come the glorious resurrection day and its sequel in his exaltation as proved by the descent of the Spirit at Pentecost. This showed that in reality, the devil, the ruler of this world, had been cast out, and Jesus had been declared Lord. That meant, of course, that all those who'd fallen for the devil's lie were under the same judgment as the devil himself. We recall Jesus' words from a few chapters earlier in John chapter 12, Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. John 12, verses 31 to 32. And so exactly as Jesus had foretold, the gathering of the nations of the world at Jerusalem on that Pentecost had been convicted by the Spirit regarding sin and righteousness and judgment, regarding sin because they do not believe in me, and regarding righteousness because I am going to the Father and you no longer are going to see me, and regarding judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. This doesn't mean that there's no ongoing fulfilment of these verses in John 16 concerning the Spirit's conviction power today. Of course there is. However, the primary meaning and application was for the day of Pentecost. But now Jesus has more to add about the advantage of the Spirit who'd soon come. He'd function not only as a convictor of the world of unbelievers, But he'd also function as a teacher of believers. For Jesus continues, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. John 16 verse 13. Once again, however, we shouldn't be over hasty to apply these words to ourselves today, over the heads of the men to whom they were directly addressed. Jesus has already said, The Helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and remind you of all that I said to you. John 14, 26. The Spirit-given ability to recall perfectly all that Jesus had said to John and the others over the past three years would enable them to write, for example, John's Gospel. Now Jesus adds, The Spirit of truth will guide you into all the truth. John 16, verse 13, the first part. And so following the Gospels, we have not only John's letters, but all the New Testament letters, full of all the apostolic truth that God wants all believers to know in this present age. Finally, Jesus said, he will disclose to you what is to come, the last part of John 16, verse 13. And so John himself would come to write in the Spirit the book of Revelation at the close of our Bibles. The Lord, in his upper room address, often gives us clues about when to apply the teaching he was giving. He speaks of a little while, and again a little while, and in that day, a little while takes us to Jesus' death. Again a little while brings us to the resurrection when their sorrow is turned back into joy, and in that day anticipates the church age with our privilege of directly asking the Father for things in the Son's name. We see this already beginning with the recorded prayers in Acts chapters 1, 4 and 12, etc. Well, after the function room, all that remains for us to study is the prayer room.
0: As usual, I remind you again that there's a book of all the talks in this series and you can obtain a copy by downloading it if you go to churchesofgod.info forward slash media. Or you could write to us and ask for a hard copy book to be posted to you instead. Just ask for the book title, No Room for Doubt. You can use email or the post and first here's our postal address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wotton Bassett, Swindon, SN4, 8DY, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. Now, you might be interested to know that most titles of Search for Truth transcript books have been turned into eBooks and are available at amazon.co.uk forward slash Kindle ebooks when you're in the kindle store type search for truth brian johnston into the field and you'll find them many can also be ordered as a conventional print book from amazon bookstore or from our own bookstore at www.hayspress.org when you're on the site use explore our shop before i leave you i just want to say thanks for the privilege of your company once more Thanks for sharing your time with us. Next time, the upper room will be the prayer room. It's our last talk in this series, so I do hope you'll join me. Now, with regret, I must say goodbye. But I leave you with very best wishes, as usual, from our Bible teacher, Brian, our producer, David, our singers, and me, John. And in the meantime, we wish you God's richest blessings.